We are live. Hungry for Hope podcast. Your co-host, Reckless Donnie Hart. And I got my co-host with me. Co-host? We already know. Big time, Tim Country. And we have live in the studio. He stopped by. He's he's going. He's moving around because he's got a lot of sports on. But we got him right now. He'll be around. We got Yanni the Greek. Yanni, how we doing? All right, Yanni the Greek's here. <laughs> and we will be having. Yanni don't have a mic. <laughs> And, you know, right, right. I don't have any. Well, anyway. Right. But, yeah, uh, no, no, you're right. Busy day in uh, sports Philadelphia here. Yanni. Uh, but I, I carved out some time for you, fellas. Right? Yanni carved out some time. What a beautiful thing. Oh, thanks for gracing us with your presence, hey, bud. Hey, no problem. I thought, you know, running numbers, you know, <laughs> you, you would have so much less time. But we also have a great guest. Uh, That's great. Oh, yeah. He'll, he'll be on any minute. We got uh, Frankie Munich. I think I, yeah, I'm saying his name right. Yeah. We we got Frank. He'll, he'll be uh, he'll be calling in. A lot of people know about him. His story is amazing. Uh, he has the the book he wrote, autobiography of a recovering skinhead, and uh, everybody knows uh, what was it Edward Norton? Role in American History X was loosely yeah. based on this guy's life. Great movie. Uh, he, he's amazing. Uh, we we get killer guests. I don't know. I we we can do it, and we yeah, get good sh- guests. Shout out to Yanni for getting all our guests. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's what I'm here for. You guys just you needed some help, all right? So you called on the Greek, and uh, and there you go. But, and but I'll just take all the credit from Donnie's work. You know? <laughs> but Yanni, that's uh, what I do. Yanni, you haven't had a movie loosely based on your life yet. Right, yet. right. Yet, yet. Yeah, I think they're filming. What today. was that one with Adam Sandler recently? Was that that was on you? No. Oh, uh, Eight Crazy Nights. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was thinking un- Uncut Jewish. Gems or no? What was that no. one? Well, we're waiting but, for the story to play out. Bookie gets killed by a hook. <laughs> The uh the pool shark Pete story. Yeah, pool shark Pete. I'm still getting calls from that guy's boy. That was our one guest. Yeah, yeah. He asked guy one question, but anyway, no, no more hooker stories. And you know, Yanni, we're we're a Frank calling in any minute. The Flyers, man, that's the hottest thing going on right now. They're, Absolutely, they're three and one, right? They they're playing tonight at eight, and uh, they they win. And they go on to tell us. When and they move on. That's right. The three and one against Carolina, uh, Carolina Hurricane. Sorry about <laughs> that. I'm still on the wrong game against yeah, the Montreal yeah, yeah. Canadiens. Uh, Bruins just won, by the way. So my, my girlfriend that. Monique says they're going to lose this game. Modi and they go on and win in six. Says the Flyers. Yeah. Uh, well, listen. I mean, we've seen that Montreal played tough, but they got frustrated beyond belief in that last game. I think. Uh, I mean, Carter Hart now two straight uh, shutouts, and uh, there was like. Visible frustration on the side of the Canadians. It was hilarious. They're slashing and hitting, uh, hitting Flyers well, players. It has to be because Carter Hart's what twenty two. I mean, he's been a stone wall out you, there. Man. That got to kind of take your confidence, two. right? Ever since game two, he's a nobody. Dominic, modern day Dominic Roussel. I mean, uh, I don't. He's talented, I don't know but. what happened that game two. I was coming out of the dentist. Uh, I'm walking down, uh, running down to AC. Which, by the way, I recommend you don't do those two things in succession. But, um, what were you doing at your dentist? Taking some bets or something? What do you mean? Yeah, is that t- one of your clients? I, or something? I had a had a procedure uh, that I oh, had to okay. take care of, and you had uh, to go for pain management. <laughs> sure, right, and then, uh, <laughs> and then I went down to AC to make some mistakes there, and uh, of All course right. that happened. Your but, life. but besides fine. that game too, the Flyers have looked dominant, and they've uh, looked like they're the better team in this series. And uh, let's try to finish it out tonight. All right, Yanni, I think we might talk to Mike. Do we got Frank on the? We got the guest. We got the guest, Yanni. We're gonna nice. get back to you, but uh. The guest of honor. We're bringing on Frankie Munich live. Frank. How you doing? Can you hey, hear what's me up? good? 
Yeah, we can hear you great, brother. All right, so pronounce you pronounce it. Here's the funny thing. You pronounce my last name, as every man will say, you pronounce it like the animal, and every woman will say you pronounce it like the coat. It's just mink. Mink. So, but every time a woman ever says, how do you say your name? I say mink. She goes, oh, like the coat. And every time a man says, how do you say your name? I say mink. They go, oh, like the animal. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Frank. Shit, I thought it was I'm, I'm horrible at words, Frank. So, you that know, it, your name could have been Smith, and I would have pronounced it wrong. <laughs> I got a good left hook, but I don't do words. Especially the ones that have the Y in it, right? Who does that? Why do you put the Y in that, Smith? You know what I mean? My ex-wife. <laughs> crazy <laughs> is that why she's your ex exactly <laughs> we don't have enough time for that Frank. <laughs> i thought this show was for hope <laughs> yeah a little bit of hope no a lot of hope uh well we got frank mink 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 frank man mink. thank thanks for coming where are you coming from la right la now yes sir of way of south philadelphia yeah 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 man i i been, I've been blessed. I lived in Des Moines, Iowa for like 15 years and coached hockey there. So, I mean, I, I've been out of Philly since I was about 28 after I got married and kind of jet out of the city. But, uh, yeah, I still grew up and raised my life there. So. You, you still miss you. it? You, you still follow? We got a lot of sports going on. The Sixers are on right now. The Flyers, you're, you're a fan. I know you're big with the Flyers. Yeah, yeah, diehard Flyers, diehard hockey fan, period. You know, I, I, in my life, I've gotten to now work for the Anaheim Ducks. I work for the Dallas Stars. I work for the AAA Minnesota Wild. So I'm just a hockey God, what do you what do you flyers. do for them play what do you do for them play for goalie or yeah no i uh used to do video coaching so i got really good at cut breaking down games on video and shit so i did that in like ahl for the ahl teams and um yeah man got to co got to stand on the bench for some semi-pro roller i coached roller for a long time so that's awesome did you grow up playing roller oh. hockey uh i know what's that big park on second jackson you from around there yeah that's burke that's where i'm from. that's burke park yeah, man, I lived on Second Porter for a little bit. I used to go down there and, you know, drink some beer and, and watch everybody play hockey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Richie Wooten, I don't know if you know that name. There's a guy down there named Richie Wooten who's like a legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A legend. No, I'm very good. But, uh, so, yeah. But, yeah, Philly boy, born and raised, lived right next to the stadiums. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I lived close enough to the vet stadium that when you would watch a game as a kid, you might not – you would hear the crowd cheer before you see what happened on TV. You know what I mean? I used yeah. to love that as a kid. I grew up, you knew if Randall made the pass. You know, you would see scrambling and you would hear, oh, and then you would hear in the crowd, yeah. So you'd still see the scramble on TV because it had like a, you know, five-second delay. You still see Randall Cunningham. You know he, you know he threw the pass because you're like, you already heard the crowd, so you're waiting for it. It was the best, man. Great yeah, way to grow up. That's awesome, man. Uh, it takes me back to tailgating. Remember when uh, we could tailgate and stuff? Yeah. Uh, that, that was cool. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we could hear Talgators talking. That's how close we were. <laughs> That's awesome, Frank. But, Frank, uh, a lot of people know about you. You, you. you travel the world doing speaking or the country or whatever you want to call it. Tell us a little about yourself, man, besides being from South Philly and a diehard Flyers fan. All right. Uh, let me break it down. So, uh, my dad is actually from Southwest Philly. My mom... Um, my mom liked the bad boy drug dealer, you know, and that was my dad. My dad was this little Italian Rocky Balboa lookalike guy. Oh, up man. On, uh, like, 70, like 67th and Buist, all up around that area, the Woodland Avenue. That's where I was born and raised at first was in Woodland Avenue. But my mom, anyway, fell for the bad boy. Uh, she was an Irish girl from 2nd Street. Uh, she gets knocked up by the Dago, my dad, and has to go home after a couple of years because they can't get sober, neither of them. So my mom goes back to live with her parents who – changed my last name. I got the second street. They changed my last name. So 
So I was born and raised a Bertolini, my dad's last name. We moved to the Irish neighborhood again on Second Street. And the church and my parents and family were like, I shouldn't have that Dego ass name in this neighborhood. So they gave me my mom's old maiden name just to have, which Mink isn't even Irish, but as long as it's not Italian, it was cool, you know? How crazy so that's is that? How I, I mean, that's crazy. Yo, you know? I, mean, I, I already, I, I'm like five or six years old. I got an identity crisis, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, um, my mom, you know, we were on welfares, you know, we had got food stamps and we lived on the, we, I lived closer to like fourth and uh, Snyder around that area. So I was even the yeah. lower class of the, of yeah, the Irish. A, yeah. um, it's rough. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, rough. you know, it's still rough now, you know, I know like seven, this night. Yeah. 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 Uh, when I was, when I was like uh, 10 years old, man, I seen a guy get shot right at sixth and Snyder. Like I was walking up my buddy up to his uh, tutor one day after school and, you know, it just changes right there. That was where our change was. We lived a couple houses. Anyway, we're walking up there, man. I seen this dude's, he, you know, they got another guy money, and the dude just pulled out a gun and shot him right in front. I'll be like, holy shit, right? Yeah. So, um, but uh, I grew, you know, we grew up on, on welfare, and I used to have food stamps, and I used to have to go to the store with food stamps, and I was so embarrassed that I was a kid. You know, you walk around, and because um, as soon as you pull out the food stamps, because you had to rip them out of the booklet to give them to the person, or they wouldn't take them because they think you sold them or stole them. So you had to like rip them out in front of the booklet, in front of the cashier to give to them. And man, every time I did that, man, the hottest girl in my neighborhood would come walking in that door, you know, and I, that's <laughs> embarrassing, man. You're not, you're not balling when you're pulling out a five fucking yeah. food stamp. Oh, sorry. So you're pulling out a five food stamp, you know? So, um, but I, I cool, I was cool, but I knew me and my mom struggled. I knew my mom didn't have a lot of money. I tried not to ask for a lot of things. I, I tried to be a respectful kid. She had some boyfriends off and on. And then finally this one boyfriend stuck and, he was an Irish guy from down like second and Reed. And uh, he didn't like that. I was Italian and he didn't like a lot of stuff about me. He didn't like that. My mom had a relationship before, you know, that type of thing. So he told me he was going to beat the Italian out of me. And, uh, and he, and he tried pretty regularly. So uh, I'll tell you that uh, what makes it hard for me sometimes is when I think about when I used to walk from Charleswood elementary school, which is on second and Wolf, and I would walk to my house on fourth and tree. By the time I got to 4th Street, I'd always plotted to get hit by a car. That was my goal for the day. Because my stepdad was always home. When I got, my mom sometimes wouldn't be home when I got home from school. Just he would be home. He was always out of whatever. And, and I didn't want to walk in that house anymore. So I would, used to plan at 4th Street for a car to come hit me. And I would just, I would kind of look and see like a small car. I didn't want to get killed here. I just wanted to, I didn't want to break. I just wanted to bruise and go to the hospital for the night, you know? So I'd pick like a Yugo or something small. And I would go out to go hit by the car. In my brain, this this natural, you know, just my, you know, I don't want to harm myself, you know. So my brain would kick in and make me get out of the way of the car every time. And I swear, every time I wanted to get hit by the car. And every kid in my neighborhood has been hit by cars three times over. I'm the only kid in the neighborhood who wants to get hit by a car, and I can't get hit by a car. Like, I'm the only kid. I mean, everyone on my street got hit by cars. It's always your cousin, you know what I mean? Second street, it's always your cousin that ran you over. Yeah. You can't sue them. You just got to shut up and go, you know. That's so... That's crazy, though. Not to, that just tells you how things, yeah. life was so crazy that you wanted to get hit by a car. You know, that speaks volumes. I'm sure you can look back at it now. It wasn't easy back then, but you can uh, look back how crazy that is, right? Nobody should have to live like yeah, that. Yeah, from, from 10 to 13, man, I'll tell you that that's every day going on. And I was always getting in trouble at school now. I mean, I was fist fighting at school. I'm getting, getting the crap beat out of me. I'm always, you know, I'm just, I'm the troubled kid at school. I'm the kid that the parents said, don't hang out with that kid. You know what I mean? So... Uh, and they'd be gotten more and more worse. And so anyway, my stepfather finally got me kicked out of the house at 13. I moved up with my dad back to Southwest Philly. 
rough, rough, rough part of the city. And uh, I had to go to an all black school, Pepper Middle School, which they later on closed due to the violence at Pepper. And I went there's, you know, there's maybe over a thousand students there and maybe 20 of us were white, not 20%, just 20 of us. And, uh, you know, and I got there in the middle of the school year, my first year, I was a little punk rock skater kid from South Philly going to this all, like I stood out. I mean, I, I got, you know, jumped, I got fist fought all the time. It was, it was a rough track from school to my dad's house. I stopped going to school altogether. Um, about, uh, I missed the last 40 days of school. And this, this tells you how great the Philadelphia school district was. I was a, a seventh grader who was probably a D student at best. And then from there I got, um, from when I went to that school, they just basically transferred me up. And then I stopped going to school and missed the last 40 days. And they wound up, uh, graduating me to eighth grade. And I missed I, the last 40 days of school. <laughs> so, so, uh, that summer just. Right. <laughs> I, I read that in your book. I, I remember somebody's, I don't know if I told you, Frank, I, I actually read your book. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I read your book when I was uh, going through some hard times with myself. I was locked up and I, I remember a lot of the stuff you're, you're saying about it. It's just crazy as you're saying it. I'm like, I think that was in the book. I think this, you know, right? I, it's crazy. Your book had a big impact though. I liked it, man. I want to hear you. more. Thank you. So, um, so that summer I got uh, to get out of the city. And I went up to uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania with my cousins. And now uh, they had just moved up from South Philly. They were my mom's side of the family. We go up there and uh, I'm up by myself now. I go up there just to visit them. And my cousin is kind of into this neo-Nazi thing. He used to be a skateboarder punk rocker. So I kind of followed him into that movement too. And he was just my older cousin. I, he moved from Philly. He'd been kind of bummed out since his parents took him from South Philly up to, up to Amish country. I mean, on their road, they were like the only normal people. And I don't mean to knock Amish people, but... To me as a kid, they weren't normal. And so I went up there and started hanging out and uh, all these neo-Nazis used to come over his house and come hang out and drink. And I was like 13 going on 14. These guys were 16, 17 year old dudes. And they were just super cool to me. Um, and I kind of just, just them asking me, what's it like being around black people? Cause they never really were around black people. And I swear to you, they would always, they would start talking about black people and black people issues. Like as these, my cousin would always point out like, you want to know anyone that knows something, ask my little cousin right here. And they would come over and be like, is it really true? Is it like this? I'll even tell you there was a girl one time who tried to confront me in front of all the guys one day. She just was tired that I was getting attention and she wasn't. So uh, she came over all drunk and she was just like, so you're going to tell me you take the bus with black people every day? And I'm sure she didn't say the word black, but, you know, she was like, you're going to tell us you take the bus with black people every day? And I'm like, yeah, chick, I live in West. Yes, I take the L train to get to school. I take the trolley. Um and, but you think about it, if I spin her around, sat her down and said, so tell me, you see Amish people every day, every day you see Amish people, you know, cause it's perspective of living. So these guys thought I was interesting and I like talking with them. And I'll tell you, man, it just, it just felt good. It felt good because if I walked in my parents' home, they never asked me how was my day. They never asked me about who my, you know, how was school today? How was best? You know, I played all sport. I tried to play every sport I could if I had money for it, but. I mean, we were broke, so I played, you know, school baseball, and I was always achieving great things in sports as a kid. And my parents just, one time, I mean, one time these guys had to pay my way onto a Pop Warner football team because my parents just didn't have the money or didn't give a shit. So, anyhow, um, hanging around them guys, I was went to a concert with them one night, man, and I just seen how people were fear, they scared, so scared of the neo-Nazis. And there was a bigger clique, guys I didn't know that were meeting up at this concert. So they, they all know each other, but I don't know anybody. I only know my cousin's friends. And uh, we're all hanging out and they're beat. I, I want to get Go a ahead. picture, not to stop you. 
I cut off sometimes. I'm sure, sorry. Sure, no. Please stop me. It's your show. I'm what, here to be a service to you. <laughs> You're the man, Frank. What do these neo-Nazis, you know, give, give her, what do they look like? Do they, you know, are they in the movies? Like, do they have like, like a swastika? <laughs> they shaved like heads. They got the Doc Martens. What are they? Are they noticeable? Yeah. Or? yeah. This, no, great. I should paint the picture a little bit better. You're absolutely right. Um, no, they are. They're all Doc Martened up. They're in flight jackets. Even in the summertime, they wear flight jackets. You know what I mean? Uh, always wearing suspenders, tattoos, swastikas, Confederate flags. You name it. That's what they're wearing. And, uh, and, and none of them were Amish, by the way. Because I said Amish earlier. I don't want people to think, oh, is there Amish skinheads? Absolutely not. They're peaceful people. So they, <laughs> they're not so they, are you calling the Amish neo-Nazis, Frank? So, just wait, so ne <laughs> neo-Nazis, just to be clear, use electricity. <laughs> They'll kill you, but yes. they won't <laughs> use your electric bill. That's right. All right, back. Back to the, you're at the concert, back. right? Yeah, man. And I'm just hanging out with all these guys. And I remember the bigger guy that was there that night, this bigger neo-Nazi, put me on his shoulders. And when we got into the club, he's punching and kicking people. And I'm on this big dude's shoulders like a baby, you know, like, like Kevin Hart, you know, like this little dude up on this guy's. And they're holding people and I'm kicking them. And man, that was, that's like, it felt good. Yo, when I, I mean, when I was outside with all these guys and everyone feared them and I seen that look of fear in people's eyes, yo, I loved it. Because you got to think up until that point, I might be almost a 14-year-old athletic kid who can fight, like you say, you got a left hook. I was born to throw a right hook. I have the nastiest counter punch in the world. It's a right hook, like a Bernard Hopkins in a way. So anyway, bring up another Philly name. Executioner. So, uh, I love him. Love my favorite boxer of all time. Yeah, so we were uh, hanging out with him not long ago. Uh, Tim's involved in pro boxing. We'll get to that later. But uh, all right, go. Yeah, you got you just drop like, Bernard dropping Hopkins. names like that. I mean. <laughs> nah, like, dropping names like that. He, I mean, he wouldn't nah, say hi to me. Drop. He's like, oh, look at this clown. <laughs> I got you. I love him, man. I do. I love his whole story. So, um, so now, um, when people feared me, and I think they fear me because I'm like these guys, you got to know, man, that, that, that's up until that point in my life, I feared everything, man. I feared my school. I feared my parents. I still fear my step parents. I fear my neighbor. I fear if I'm going to have enough food to eat today. And now someone's going to fear me. I bet I'm in, right? And then these guys asked me to shave my head that night. I was like, absolutely. And then I was like, this is my family. My family had thrown me away. My dad didn't want me back no more. I'm 13. My mom and her new husband don't want me back. I mean, I'm really literally on the streets and these guys take me in. See, a lot of people that get into this neo-Nazi stuff and I'm not knocking nobody else's story. A lot of them always say like, they were suburban white kids. And you say, why'd you, and then now they're out of it. You know, and they say, well, why'd you ever get in? And I'm like, I just want to piss people off. I'm like, yo, I just wanted to survive. Bro, you know, like and that's why I adapted. You know, I I and I just wanted to do. It. I'm sorry, go Frank. Go ahead, finish. No, no, you go, man. You know, go, please, you go. Now I was yeah. the same way with the people when I was growing up with the people I grew up with, right? That's how I started my story with Hungry for Hope because I grew up with certain people, different kind of atmosphere, but it was the same way. Like I felt that that bond, that family kind of community type thing, and it was just I I get what you're saying. 100%. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it's that one little time that you think that they care, you know, that, that they feel that they, this other group or people care about you. Man, I'm, and now I got to learn things. And let me tell you, I, I, I had gotten neighborhood racism, right? You live in South Philly, you live in South. You fight the black kids, you fight the Latin, you fight the Puerto Rican kids, you play basketball against them, you play football against them, and you fist fight them every couple Fridays when a guy gets too drunk, right? I mean, that's that's my racism that I grew up. It wasn't this organized neo-Nazi racism. But 
but there was one thing that I used to hear people say, and that was like, people would say stuff like, oh, Johnny tried to Jew me today. And I never got the joke as a kid. I remember hearing people laugh and I didn't get the joke. Asked my uncle one day, what's that mean? Like, why do you say this about Johnny? Or, you know, so-and-so Jewed me today. And I was like, I didn't get it. So he started to tell me, uh, he sat me down and he said, Frank, the Jews are notorious for, you know, started telling me about money. He's like, they're kind of this notorious. And he's like, you know what? It's a really good joke. You'll get it when you're older. When I was in my first neo-Nazi meeting, I remember this moment. I remember the guy that was speaking. I remember what he was talking about. This man started to get up in front of this table and I just shaved my head. It's probably a couple, a week later. And this guy says, the Jews are siphoning money off the Federal Reserve. And it's this organization, this government called Zog, the Zionist Occupational Government. It's this conspiracy government that is run by Jews that steal money from the government and they siphon it off to give it to Israel so they can start the next world war. While this man's telling me this, and again, I don't know anything about Jews. I grew up in an all-Irish neighborhood. When he was saying that stuff, I remember thinking, I get the joke. Yo, I got the joke. Like, I must be older now. I must be what my uncle said I would be. Uh, and, and so I remember feeling proud that, like, I figured that out. Remember, I'm a 13 kid, 13 going on 14 at this time. I was probably 14 right at this time. Uh, a young 14. So... To know what the adults know who have left me to fend for myself, I want to know everything they know because I'm ready to go back and debate with them. I'm I became a pundit for the movement in that moment. And what I mean by a pundit, like a Sean Hannity, is they don't read information. They don't read information like on a newspaper article just to get the information. They only read it for ammunition and an argument. And that's what I became. And everything I read was to back up my arguments. And so every time I'd be around the adults in my life, they would say something. I'm like, well, that's the Jews' fault. And my people are like, you're all Irish Catholic. You're like, what are you talking about? You know, and I'd be like, well, blah, blah, blah. And I'd have like all this new information that I'm just jamming at people. And then my uncles would try to stop me and say, well, what about, and I would shut them down. Like, I was really good at it. And the neo-Nazis started to notice that. If you notice, if you go look back, I got to do like three television shows when I was a neo-Nazi. Like, I go get picked by the elders or even just other people. Be like, well, here, put Frankie on just... He kind of knows what he's saying sometimes, and he's not so crazy sometimes, even though a couple of the shows I did with the eyebrows. <laughs> you had a, what do you have, the television or the, the television show? What was it called? The Reek or Reich? The Reich, know, yeah, the Hitler's Reich. Yeah, that was, and that was later on. Where was I mean, that? This out? is me oh, doing yeah. prime oh, time. that was before. Alien. That was at, like the, oh, yeah. the TV shows I did for the movement. I did TV shows for like ABC News, um, uh, you know, Night. Uh, you were like the poster you know, child. Nightline, I did. Yeah, yeah. And I had a big tattoo right on my, I still have it on top of my head. I still have it. If you ever see some of the old videos of me, it yeah, says okay. made in Philly right across the top of my head. I mean, it's still there. I just got my yeah. hair over it now. But, but I love that tattoo. I, I, it's one of my ones I'll never get removed or taken off because even if I go bald, I still was made in Philly. It's not a lie. It's where my parents had intercourse. I mean, I'm not lying about that. Stuff. <laughs> You're um, not a liar, Frank. Wow. And this is the first part that came out my mom. You know what I mean? So made in Philly right there, stamped right on there. Um, so my mom tells me that was the first part. I hope so. <laughs> Shit, mine um, was the feet. What? <laughs> they they smack your ass? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so there you are, uh, the, poster child of, the poster child That's of it. neo-Nazism in Lancaster. Yeah. What a weird, I would never uh, think and of I, that. And now I'm moving around. Now I'm moving all around. I'm going from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. I'm going down to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm going all, I'm You're just meeting other neo-Nazis or... Yeah, living in compounds because I really had no other place to go, and I really wanted to believe all this stuff. So, 
Um, I mean, I truly did believe this. I would go to Bible studies, truly believing God wanted me to ruin Sodom and Gomorrah. And I always put it to you this way. Now I figure my life out, or I'm helping hopefully figure my life out, is that I grew up with a very punishing Irish Catholic God. I'm not knocking Catholicism. Just the brand that I was, that I thought I was taught. So let me put it out that it's not no one's fault but my own on how I conceive Catholicism. But I never, you know, I never felt any different. I never felt, but I, I had this whole thing where if I stubbed my toe and I cried to my Irish grandmom, she'd say, God punished you. And I'd be like, but I didn't do anything. He knows you're going to do something. So I'm already pre, always punished by God. Like I'm never going to get anything good. It's either pre-punish me or post-punish me for something. I don't even know what I did yet. Right. And that's the kind of the way I fed into Catholicism. And that's, there's great people to have Catholicism. So I'm not knocking the religion. Um, when I would go up to these Bible studies and these men are telling me that the Eve, Eve started this whole thing because she didn't just take of a piece of fruit that Eve went and had sex with the serpent that came up to her to trick her to have the fruit which was sex, and he impregnates her with Cain. Cain later on kills Abel, who's Adam and Eve's real son, and that Cain is the first evil Jew on the planet, and that's why they say that Jews are the seed of Satan due to that story. And I was like, God wants me on his team? Like, I'm down, man. I'm, I mean, holding guns at a Bible studies, and I was like, this is <laughs> this is what life is about. You yeah, you're a soldier um, of God. That's it. I, I, there's a documentary I'm in. Forgive it's called me. Soldiers of God. I'm in that documentary. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and then I start traveling around. I get a lot of warrants for my rest. I was in and out of Juvie Hall in Philly. Yo, I'd be the only We all been there. I'd be the only white kid. Yo, I was up there. There was only like one Fishtown white kid and me. And, yo, they made, you know, they make you keep your clothes that you got arrested in. I had 20 yeah. high Doc Martens, a white jacket with a swastika and a Confederate flag on it. And I had to wear that thing every day. <laughs> hey, how you doing? I'm Frank. Bro, uh, I'm Frank, your local uh, neo-Nazi. They, they, they sent me to Slayton Farms, and, and I thank God, because I burned Slayton Farms. I was able to, yeah. I played football, and, and, and the, the, the Puerto Rican kids loved me because I played on their team, and we beat the black kids for like the first time ever. It was a whole big thing. I, we had a talent show at Slayton Farms, I'll tell you this. We had a, a talent show, and this is no lie, Slayton Farms was- now People don't know yet. Tell people about Slayton Farms. You know, not everybody. Uh, so Slayton Farms is now, it's on one of the like haunted America uh, list. You go to the old Slayton Farms. It's outside of, uh, it's right up by Exington, Pennsylvania, I believe. It's right by one of the malls. I knew that. So um, they would bring you up and it's this old farm and it just got houses built on it. Big old brick houses. And they fit about 50 kids in each house. How, how do you get in a place like this? By doing the right thing? Or is it like a church group? Oh. Oh, no, I, I, yo, so I'm in there on the first ever gay bashing case in Philadelphia County. Oh, you That's were on I was that. in there. So I'm the You're first. The I was innovator. In. The innovator. Yeah, great. yeah, yeah. I was a real trendsetter. So, um, <laughs> I was like that for heroin, so it's all good, Frank. All right. You know, I mean, it, you know. So uh, that's what we, I was in there on. So I'm like fighting this first ever like hate crimes, new laws type thing. That, but this was this gay bashing and I wound up getting thrown out. And, you know, it was you know, lawyers being lawyers. Um, yo, that'll tell you another time, man. I was I was locked up in there on Easter and the whole for like three months leading up to Easter and every day because I could have went home at any time. My mom just had to come get me all every, all my other defendants all going home and two or three days from being arrested. I'm in there three months. My mom's promised me every day she's coming to get me. She never showed up. Four months. That was in your book. I remember that was in your book. Uh, So, uh, 
talk about just not feeling wanted sometimes as a child, you know, as a, as a human being. I don't feel who wants this kid, right? Except for the neo Nazis. And so I'm buying into it completely. Like I'm becoming like a Timothy McVeigh in my brain. And he wasn't even around at the time. Like that's not even a thought yet. Yeah. But I'm telling you that the way I was running and the people I was running with, this isn't just like a little American history X. Like I was running with people that were robbing banks. I was running, I mean, I went to prison for kidnapping. Yeah. You know, I've been there, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, and it was my rival gang member. You know, it was a rival kid that was against me. Anyhow, when I went up to, so I started going on after I got out of Juvie Hall in Philly. I kept getting more and more warrants for my arrest because I'm a criminal and I'm a thug and I'm an egomaniac with no self-esteem and I'm an alcoholic. I mean, I was born and raised an alcoholic. I mean, I'm a I'm a mummer. <laughs> I'm a mummer. Yeah. Of course, I'm an alcoholic, yeah. right? Makes sense. Thank two, you. Two streets strut. Two street, baby, two street. So, uh, so man, um, shit. So I started moving around and I got out all the way out to, um, by this time I get all the way out to like Terre Haute, Indiana, where I get, I get put in a mental hospital for trying to kill myself. I'll let people read the story. I don't want to go into the whole story, but I wound up escaping in a very dramatic, crazy way, which has been verified and back checked over 15 times. Cause when we first wrote that story, nobody believed the story was true until the hospital finally said, it's absolutely true. That incident has changed. Definitely got to go. It said it changed. It's in your yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Autobiography of Recovering Skinhead. They can read that, right? I'm ordering. Yeah, yeah. And, and in the back, we talk about the fact-checking process just because at the same time I'm writing my book, James Fry is getting called out. Oh, that's Gumbag. Yeah, he's a... Right, I read yeah. his book. He was getting... I, he's a liar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't like... I'm not going... I was getting the 12 steps at the time, and I remember I was active in my program when I first read that book. And that for like maybe the first time too. And I remember reading it. And I remember a million little pieces, steps. right? Yeah, yeah. He put down and the 12 steps a bunch of times say, in the book. I read yeah. that book. Yeah. yeah. So that book, he just got called out. Like the week we started writing my book, like we'd already had a schedule. We're all meeting Tarot and Deanna. And the minute I got in the car with my writer, she goes, you see what happened on Oprah? And I was like, absolutely. She goes, that ain't going to happen to us, is it? I'm like, nope. She goes, one lie. And I'm out of here, Frank. And I was like, let's go. And we just went. I did my it's homework amazing. on you, Frank. I, I hate liars. Liars are up there with the, the worst people. If you're willing to lie, you're, you could be a child yeah. molester. You could be a snitch. Liars are like, that's a trait for being a horrible person. I, I did my yeah. homework and on it, all of our guests. You're, you're not that from what I've seen. Yeah. You're the farthest thing no, from. I mean, you're true. You, you're you. Yeah, I'm real. Real knows real. That's the, only, it's the best thing I always hear people that are real from me. They're always like, man, you're real, you know. So... It just is real is real. And, uh, and I don't try to make myself sound so glorious because look, again, I just talked about how I was an egomaniac with no self-esteem, with an alcohol problem that was just full of fear, full of fear as a child and as a, as an adult as growing into my adulthood. And, uh, it, it's, you know, that's just what it is. All neo-Nazis are full of fear. Anyone that is a racist is full of fear. They're afraid someone's going to take what's theirs. That's just the way it is. And so, um, and ego, you know, once I have ego, see, I think I can go to Bible studies and learn about shooting guns and Jewish people. Like that's definitely what God wanted me to do. Right. That was a that's Bible definitely study. Being of service. And we do that at Bible studies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was makes a Bible sense. Study. That, it makes sense. Yeah. You know, the Jews, the Bible, you know, the I whole, think we the went whole to Old different, I think we went to different churches, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, they didn't give out mad. They didn't give out, you know, a piece of bread at my at them church. Yeah. I kind of want to so, see uh, that Bible. Yeah, yeah, it's just read differently, man. It's the same exact. Well, they're not all, you know, the New Testament. Yeah, but anybody can look at something and get their own 
right. perspective. Absolutely. How do you, are you are you full of fear and anger when you read the book? Then you're going to find stuff that backs up. You should go smite people with a sword. If you read that you want to be a compassionate, human, loving human being, you'll read it and read what the Bible is truly about, and that is service to others. And that is it. That's crazy. Praying to God, thanking Him. You're big into it now, God. I see your sign, and but you're reading that same book that you used to read and you used to see something completely different because I guess you were filled with hate. And now you read the same Absolutely. book, nothing changed. They didn't rewrite the no. Bible, and you look at it a different way. No. That's that says a lot. It depends on my what, what kind of mind frame I'm in, and where do I want to be in life, and you know who do I want to be. So let's go, let's get back to the story because then we'll get to the hopefully the spiritual awakening. Um, yes, yeah. obviously Gorgeous. the message. Um, you know, I, I, I'll just say that I went to Springfield, Illinois. I started this cable access television show. I got about 40 skinheads in this. What was again, the name I'm of the show? I, I did, the Reich, like Hitler's, like the third Reich. Yeah. I knew. Reich. I just, I just made, made you say it again. <laughs> we made two episodes of it. Uh, the second episode I was arrested at. That's where they arrested me at my own television show in Springfield, Illinois, the, the capital of Illinois. Also, that's, they uh, Abraham Lincoln, right? Dude, they they love that dude there. Yeah. Everywhere he goes. Like Honest Abe, brother. You can get anything yeah, on so. TV, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In Illinois, you can. No, I, no, I killed it on there. We talking about? And we got ratings and everything. You know, cable access, dude. We did, we did skits. Yo, we were like the racist Wayne's world, dude. We did little skits and stuff. And we had to go on, bro. Party on! Yeah. Yo, I'm 17 uh, years old, living on my own. So you know, let me get this picture. Let's get this picture. Yeah, this picture All right, so here we are in Let's Springfield, Illinois, a birthplace of Abraham yes. Lincoln. We got young Frankie Mick. You're you're 17. You're one of the leading neo Nazis, and you got to show uh, the the reek the reach. What's it? How do you say that word? I know it's a the Reich. Right. right. You know what it was. And then second episode, the cops bust in and arrest you for what? <laughs> kidnapping? Yeah, for the kidnapping charge. They all draw yep. a short straw sometime. Yeah. <laughs> so there you are. Um, 17 years old. Uh, a long way from South Philly there, brother. Long way. And now I have to learn about the Chicago gang system. Were they fed to? Uh, uh, Jesus Christ. Who was it? Was it fed? This is... No, it was state. I got a state charge. Um, let me just tell you, I didn't know the, the the whole realm of how deep the gangs went until I got in my first state prison. I my celly was a, a guy who was in a gang called the right? Gaylord. I had a big swastika on my neck, so I get in the prison. I'm safe. Gaylord, yeah, I'm big... safe from the Gaylord. Yeah, nobody's messing with me, and it, no one did. I mean, I got stabbed once, but that was over a stupid fight. And it, it happens. But I mean, seriously, like I never worry. And people are always like, "Didn't you worry about getting?" No, I mean, I seriously, every time I took a shower, I was in there with, you know, 10 gorilla bikers, you know what I mean? And they were my boys. And we just, you know, it was, you know, I, I was very knowledgeable in this movement. And these guys kind of protected me. And they took honor and protected me. I swear to you, they used to tell me, they're like, it's cool protecting you. Like, because I was the guy with the TV show. Now yeah. I'm in prison and they all know me. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's crazy. That's crazy, um, man. Uh, so I learned about the gang system. I've ganged about the, the folk nation and people nations and the gangster disciples and the vice lords and, the, I mean, you name it. I went and I learned just in, in the fastest style you can. And uh, within the time I was, you know, midway through my time, man, I could. It's tell crazy, you, I right? Could throw up the gang time. It's crazy. I, it's I, I lived on, uh, you know, murder block for a couple of years, unfortunately. Oh, shout out to Larry Hoover. Yeah, you know, 
when I when I got on the block, they're like, "Oh, you're on the murder block," and I'm like, "I, I didn't kill anybody." They're like, "Well, you probably should have, you know." <laughs> yeah, you better start right now. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm there with all you know, yeah. and I'm I'm 120 people. There's three white guys, and we're all sleeping in the same cell. And you know, I got a right, wake right, up right. call. You know, I was ex pro wrestler. I, I thought I was hot shit, and you know, I fucked up pretty bad. And that's when I I didn't realize how bad I fucked up until I walked on that murder block with that shaved head. Wow. <laughs> Uh, you know, yeah, I had yeah, no swastika. The funniest thing is, you always know when you're in big, big trouble is when you have a public defender. Yeah. <laughs> that's when. That's why everyone goes to God. I want you to know, in prison, everyone goes to God or jail. Everyone goes to God because they got a public defender, and you need God on your side. <laughs> no, the worst part. Or convert some Muslim. Now imagine having know. a public defender, and then the public defender coming. He knows you hate him already. He's like, uh, he don't call my name. He's like reckless. I got some uh, good news and bad news. I'm no longer your lawyer. I'm thinking, great, you know, somebody got me a lawyer. And they're like, and the bad yeah. news is your 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 cellmate, the only other white guy on the block, he he, he said you you admit it to everything you did. And we represent him, so we can't represent you. So the state's gonna pay for a lawyer. Now, conflict of interest, he called it. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. They caught you know, they they told him to get a deal. <laughs> you know, the lawyer said, yo, you should be, yo, she might be able to help here. Yeah, that was right. Donnie's first I know, I see video. that. Yes, that was horrible. <laughs> horrible. You know, I was like excited. I thought like he's like good news. I'm like, all right. But so and I can relate to where you've been. Yeah, and here's the one thing, like I there's no one that's ever gone to prison. Because later on in life, I go on to go help the police. I do all their police, their all their hate crimes training. I go on to do uh, you know, this that type of stuff. Nothing in and there's no one in this world. That can point and say Frank Mink said something that got me arrested because I do not want anyone, even neo Nazis, if they aren't doing something to physically harm somebody, I don't want them in jail, no matter what their beliefs are. Like I don't, we have 2.4 million people in prison in this country right now, far more than any other country in the world. Well, so I think some of the I don't research, want I think some of the research we did on you, you said the only person you ever said on is yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true words. Yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy. Um, so to, to, for me to get out of this neo-Nazi stuff, um, just to get back to the timeline. Um, we have no timeline. I'm, I'm an ex-professional convict with, with him. You know. Frank, this is your show. We're just kind of hanging out. I can't out. even yeah. spell podcast. You know, we're, we're not yeah, as professional we about, as we uh, look. <laughs> we got about 35 minutes to puck drop, so we do have a time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I agree. So, Tim can't even tell time, so we're talking. good. I can't read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's watching last. He's watching yesterday's game. <laughs> All right, so we're back. So, so, so I, I, and this is the part with sports, man. It's like I was this young neo-Nazi who is athletic, who's from the city. You know, I get in and I get into this prison. And I played ball with the white white dudes. A lot of them were bikers. People that were Aryans, like my gang, they were all um, bikers. And you know, the, the other white gangs had like some dudes that were from the city, urban Chicagoans, you know, but not my gang. So mostly you do everything with your own gang all the time. So we go out and we play football and I'm playing with these huge bikers and you think I'd be scared, but they're, they suck and I'm super fast and I know the game and I know how to spin move and I know how to rotate my ball. When I, you know, I know, know how to do it. I just grew up the game. And so I go play with them and it wasn't fun. I, we, whatever team I was on was going to win like seven touchdowns to maybe one touchdown. If we, if I, I mean, I'd pick off the ball. It's just not fun playing with a bunch of bikers because look, they can fix your transmission at two years old. They don't know how to create off the ball. They don't know how to dribble basketball. 
It's like Chris Rock said, you got to let double dribbling go sometimes. You got to let traveling go. You know, there's bikers, there's running with the basketball. And you know, you got to dribble. And you're like, whatever. So anyway, I want to start playing with some kids that knew how to play. Um, I met this black kid, and this is where they get the kid in in uh, in, uh, in American History X. The kid's name was G, and I actually met him in the county jail after I did this. Um, man, I, I, forgot, I skipped over a whole big part about me fasting, but not about when I started to turn to God in prison on my own uh, during that time, I got released from a certain cell block that I was on. Uh, I swear by, by prayer and by, and by, and by fasting and by acknowledging that God is everything or nothing at the time, even though I wanted them to kill all the guards for me. That was my prayer and my, medit- and my meditation and my fast was I went and kill all the guards and pop my door and let me go home on Monday. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do that, but he got me released from that Mac. I was in the hole because of my age. They wanted to keep me there for protection. Yeah. I was 17 in this prison waiting to go upstate and stuff. So they just kept me in the hole. And then he came to me after four months and was like, they they thought I was starving myself to death. I was actually just fasting. and I couldn't tell them. It says you can't tell. You can't brag or boast, you know? Mm -hmm. And anyway, on Monday, he uh, came and got me, put me on general pop in, or actually in the honors block of our jail. It was a huge county jail. Huge. I mean, thousands. Is it Chicago or? Uh, No, this is Sangamon County, Central Illinois. All right. That's where I committed the crime. Um, so, uh, anyway, I meet up, he, he winds up showing up at one of the state prisons I'm at, G did. And, uh, now he, he was one of the up, characters, they, they made him an yeah. American history extra, right? Yeah. This guy, the kid that, yeah, this is like the guy that works in the laundromat with him. Yeah. And G, but, but it wasn't that G actually, in the first interaction with G was he taught me how to play spades, the card game, but he didn't teach me just how to play. He taught me how to cheat right away. Like he showed me like little hand signs, like this is what this means. I didn't know the game. Like I didn't know I ever played spades, right? If he ain't, so he starts showing he ain't me. Trying. Yeah, he says like if he's tapping his his finger right here, it means come in diamonds. If he has a fist, come in caught. Like little stupid things, right? No one thinks this Chicago black kid and this neo Nazi. It's like white man can't jump. We just went around and played an all these spades tournament for peanut butter and jellies, and we just kicked everyone's. You know, we've won. So you were Woody Harrelson. You're Woody Harrelson. He was Wesley yeah. Snipes. Yeah, but PB and Jay's are uh, fucking No, I delicious. was Wesley Snipes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother man. <laughs> so uh, then I started playing dominoes, and I got really good at dominoes and just little games like that. And uh, so when I got upstate, me and him would always play in tournaments again. And because people didn't know, again, that we even know each other from the county jail. But by this time, everyone knows me and G are cool. Like, man, that dude just always had me laugh. And there was a whole crew of black kids I got along with. A whole How bunch was of that, white swords that were on my side. Hold up. You know, because I played you're a neo-Nazi. You, you had the show, the, the reek or whatever. You know, how you're do right. you all of a sudden <laughs> become, I'm not going to get it right. And I'm, you know, you're right. But, uh, right. Sorry. How did you become friends? Just, you know, didn't you well, hate these, it's just, these people? It, yeah. In prison, in prison, it doesn't, I mean, as long as there's not a gang war or a race war going on, you kind of get along. We kind of sell drugs to each other all the time. I mean, we're always packing stuff up our rectum to bring out to the yard to trade with them. I mean, this is what you do in prison. And when there's no gang war going on, it's stuff's kind of cool. You know, like the black kids, the first time they let me play football, they just let me do kickoff return because they thought I was going to get hit really hard and I was going to quit. They didn't know I knew the game. My first kickoff return, I run the thing back because I'm, I'm, I'm like a little West Walker. You give me the ball, I'm tiny, and I hit the holes and I put nasty moves. All right, I mean, that's just really. If, if given the opportunity, how many razor blades could you fit in your mouth? Fit in the mouth is in the province. Fit in them in the rectum. That's where it's starting. <laughs> so, so that was, you know, we're getting out of the rectum. We're getting out of the razor blades. So, 
this was your first like experience really getting to know these people that weren't looked like you, right? You know, you probably never sat down. Yeah, like, no, no. I mean, not really, because I grew up in West Philly. See, so that's yeah. what I mean. Like, I, I kind of had a little, but I mean, by that time, I mean, I had hated all black. I mean, they for all the kids that jumped me and rolled on me and, and so many crappy things happened to me. I mean, I truly had a hatred for for black kids. But when I started to realize something in there was. Yo, when they talked about riding on the L train, because there's an L also in Chicago, I knew what that was like. When they talked about being on food stamps and getting cheese, I knew what that was like. And that's what stuff G used to always talk. And G would make me laugh. Yo, G was, I, I, G is the only person that I mentioned in my whole book that has not gotten back to me. Other people know G, but you know, random people throughout the years from prison have wrote in my publisher and been like, hey, I was in prison with this guy. Um, and G's the only one that hasn't. And I, I I think he's dead. Frank. I mean, I'm trying to make it dramatic. He didn't? So you haven't heard uh, from you know, him? Or? He, he had such a, no, he never heard. I think he had such a big mouth, man. I mean, there were so many times people wanted to kill him. He just said whatever he wanted to say. And he, he was about the same size as me. He's a little bit skinnier at the time. and But, man, he was he could tear you down with his mouth, boy. He'll make fun of everything you were wearing. And he'll be wearing the same thing you are, but he don't like the way you're wearing it. And you make you go home and cry. Right, so and I just love sitting around with him because he didn't barely do it to me, except for he called me white boy once in a while, or he'd tell me that I would never be able to keep a girl anytime he's around. You know, and that's the one part of my American tricks. He used to always say, like, dude, you know she goes black, she ain't going back because my girl's just about to have a baby and yeah. stuff until we talk about her girl. So and that was the one true thing about the movie that, that did happen, those little conversations. But um so that's how like the Aryans never the Aryans knew how good I was. They knew I was a, a, a very trash talking sports player. So I'm playing football with these Aryans and I'm killing them and I'm talking trash all the time. But that's the way I've always played. I'm a talker. I'm an agitator. Like I just it's my game. It's my style. And so. Uh, man, these South guys, Philly, you're, you know, yeah, that's your style. I, I mean, man. Tough, you hard nose. So. So I, I would always stand up for myself. And, and these uh, the white dudes used to always see. The Aryans, they would see me play football. Now, again, I'm going to tell you, like, it wasn't like a full-on league. I think I probably played football three times in the year I was there because we were always on lockdown. You, you don't get Sunday yards all the time. So there was only maybe – but I played basketball probably twice a week with my with the same dudes I play football with, you know. And, dude, I could throw an alley pass all day long. Like, I just – I had guys on my team that were 6'6". Six, six, we got Scotty Pippen, Wes Walker. Yeah. We, yeah. we got oh, them all on our show. They're not even on the same team. Yeah. Yo, this guy used to tell me one foot. He used to say, "Yo, he say one foot, one foot over, one foot down." He meant he wanted me just to heave the ball like down court, one foot over from the rim, from the rim, and one foot down so he can catch it and do an alley oop like from half the court. I thought and he, he did it like two or three times. So you're gonna say ten times? No, 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 he just say one foot over, one foot down. So I meant the ball was right where he can grab it yeah. and go up and jam it in. So man, we used to just. You know, and, and those guys would stick up for me. When people would, tech, people would fail me, I had a big swastika on my neck, and I'm, you know, I'm crossing people over. You know what I mean? Like, they're not real happy with me. And so I get the slap in the face. When you cross a guy over, that's the way you stop him. You slap him in the face. You can't cross back over because you slap him while he makes, you know. And Every these time guys you say that, that you know, I picture Allen Iverson. So it fucks me up. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, when I would do it, if I got to go cross him over, the dude just put his hand up. And, and uh, you know, what are you, gonna, you can only call fouls. So limited in prison ball. Yeah. I mean, really. I mean, you know. So if you can, like, deliberate, you can really save. But man, anyway. So you know, the white dude just kind of watched me play, and, and you know, I would go to our meetings, and I would be the one spitting the knowledge, dude, about why they should hate Jews. 
when these white dudes were just hated black people because they're in prison with them and they're bikers. They have no reason, no reason why they hate Jews. They just like the swastika because it's a rebel thing with the bikers. You know what I mean? So it's just I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm spitting out knowledge. Even the Muslims like me in jail. I mean, really, there's the Muslims like me because they heard this white boy who's speaking about the Jews, and they're like, oh, we kind of like him. And I worked with their main guy in the chow hall for a while, and we used to always rap about the Jews and about Malcolm X. I was, you know, and so it was cool, man. We I, like, I mean, it isn't like everyone says like we don't ever talk. Like I said the N-word in front of black people all the time back then. And that's crazy to think that. And I'll tell you that one of the last times, at least the, one of the last times that made me think, and this is a, a great, this is, this is horrible. I was in prison and I'm with all my Aryans and we're watching, here you go, Morris Portra, Michael Jordan's father just got killed while I was in prison. Mm. I can tell you that. I don't know the exact date, but. He was killed while I'm in prison, and we're watching the news coverage. And they just got let go. Yeah, they just, they the just offered him parole uh, this week. His murderer—he's he, not out and yet. Really? Yeah. yeah, he just got paroled. The one. Yo, how current with news am I, dude? <laughs> how current am I? I mean, you might have lucked into right. that one. Yeah. <laughs> really? You gonna try that one on me now? You're gonna no. stuff like that? <laughs> you, you believe this guy? Get him out of here. Oh, come on, man. Curb stop. Come on. All right. So, oh, come on. <laughs> going American History X on us, brother. All right. All right. So, um, so listen, um, I remember we were sitting around and Michael Jordan's dad had got killed. And all the black dudes were like, especially the black Muslim, like Nation Islam black Muslims, they were in there like, yo, Whitey killed him because Michael Jordan's so popular. Like, they were just going on and on with theories that were crazy, right? And I'm like arguing with them all the time, like, ah. And then, turned out to be some black kids. And when that happened, I was sitting with my boys. Now I've been arguing with black guys about this. So I've been heated about this little debate we've been having. And then it got proven true. And I looked at my Aryans and I was like, see, just typical N word, you know? Mm. Yeah, we, we can't say that on the, on the show, Frank. <laughs> oh, I, will, I, I, don't, I don't ever say, that, don't word, say ever. Yeah. that word. Never, I don't ever, that word never comes out of my mouth. I, I, I overuse that word and it's an abusive word. It's a word of violence and I don't use it. So, so when I when I change um, my, what was one of the the main points? Like I've had my points where I changed oh, my life around. I was fucking a terrible human being, did terrible things, yeah. did horrible stuff. Yeah. But what was yeah. the main point? What was that come to yeah. Jesus moment that might well, some people might say? But what was that moment that was just like, oh shit, well, this, I gotta change this, this. this. Yeah, no, no, and this is this is, I say that. My boy G was there with his boys sitting on the other side of the day room, but I, I had said it loud enough. I mean, I just said it before. I would just say it, you know? And I looked over, I seen him later. I didn't even think about it. Later on, we're playing spades and he's not cheating. He's not throwing back when I'm telling him to throw back. And then we get done and we lost, we lost our money. And I went up and I was like, yo, what's up with that? And he goes, just typical N words, you know? And he said the word too, you know, he said, just typical N words, huh? And I was like, oh. Oh my God, like the dude was my, like for real. I talked to him about my daughter, but he was the first dude I told my daughter was born. And now he says that, that I just affected him. That from that day on made me think of that word. And I think when my change happened only a year later, I, I think the word had kind of filtered through that, you know, I stopped you. And I'll be honest with you guys and anyone will tell you, I don't say that. That word is, it's not about in my home. It's not, now I love hip hop. I love Meek Mill. I love Nipsey Hussle. When they sing, when I sing songs with her and the word, that word is in it. I say either ninja or nickel. And that's the best way, you know, because I, 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 I never 
say that word and it's it, it seriously the word will never be uttered out of my mouth ever again um it's just a word of it means violence that's a violent i believe word you man i hate the Sorry. word too man um, i believe you yeah no yeah it, it's and i mean look i look in my lifetime now, man, I got children that ain't white. I've been with girls from Africa. You know what I mean? So if anyone ever questions what my race, you know, it, you know, my my daughter and most of my children now have dated outside of their like. I truly believe that, and, and I'll get to this now. So as I get out of prison, man, I've realized, all right, black, Asian, Latino, we're all cool, but I'm still gonna hate the Jews because I still want to be part of this neo-Nazi world because I have so much clout. You know, I'm 19 years old and I'm a shot caller, for real. Like, you got to think, like, why would I want to leave all my friends, all my crew, a crew that I built? I built that crew. And it's huge now. I moved back to Philly. I'm running my crew again. But weren't a that lot of things word. just weren't. And I'm telling you, man, it was, it, was, it was God, science, and human nature. All three of those things, a triangle, changed me. Because it started to show me. And every time I would be like, all right, God, all right, you proved me wrong on this, but I'm still going to do this, right? And then when I had this hatred still of Jews, it kept me part of that movement. Here you go. The last neo-Nazi meeting I'm ever at is the night of the O.J. Simpson Bronco chase. How about that? That was like in the my meeting sixth, that night. That was like my 10th birthday. Was it? Yeah. So that was the night I'm at my last neo-Nazi meeting. shit, right? That you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. my I first sleep as a with, kid. Mm-hmm. I sat there with neo-Nazis and I watched that. I'll never forget that. And then shortly after that, I'm looking for work. Granted, guys, Philly's a tough town. But when you have a swastika on your neck, made in Philly on your head, and skinhead written on your knuckles, and you have an aggravated kidnapping that is part of your adult history of life forever, you these ain't good people skills. Yeah, they're tough. <laughs> HR to doesn't. Yeah, HR isn't like, oh, swastika, definitely management. Definitely. You must really keep the trains on time. You we, know what we I mean? Wanna... Like, it's not. Yeah, that, that's hard. So, You're, what, 19 at this time? 19, just about to go on 20. And a buddy of mine says he can get me a job working at the Cherry Hill, New Jersey Mall. And in the Cherry Hill, New Jersey Mall, he uh, got me this job working for a Jewish guy carrying in and out antique furniture for the weekend. They were having like a weekend antique show there. And the guy goes, we'll pay you 100 bucks a day, plus you'll make tips, Frank. You. And as soon as I said yes, he goes, but I got to tell you to do it. And my friend's a neo-Nazi, too. He goes, the guy that hired me, this guy that runs this company, is like a Jew, though, Frank. But, and I'm like, I was like, I don't care, man. I have no other work prospects right now. Things are kind of holding me down a little bit. And uh, I took the job, and I worked for this guy for the weekend. And I made $600 in tips after the three days. $200 a day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now, he owes me 300 And here's that thing that we all do, because we're all, you know, unless we're so spiritual, we'll flow that right out of here. Um, we all have resentments of people. And I still had a resentment. This Jewish man, I thought he was not going to pay me. I thought he was in my anti-Semitic, ignorant way. This man is going to do me. Yeah. End of the weekend, he comes up to pay me. And I'm waiting to have this argument with this Jewish man. Because he fit every stereotype. He said, oive all the time. And he's always like, oh, you, oive, oh. you know, why are you break my furniture? He just, he fits so many little stereotypes for me. And he walks up and he says, how much do I owe you? And I, and I said, $300. I mean, like, I'm ready to fight with this guy. I already planned out a whole fight. You know, I already, he's going to say this. I'm going to say that. I'm going to get him. I'm going to say he's a Jew, whatever. Donnie does that with he me says, every time we have a show. <laughs> That's good. So he comes up and he gives me the $300 and he gives me an extra 100 bucks. And mm. he says, nice work, man. And he goes, hey, I'll give you a ride back to South Philly. I got to go that way anyway because we're in Cherry Hill. 
And he gives me a ride back over to my neighborhood. He starts to tell me about how this used to be his neighborhood. And his synagogue used to be a fourth and fourth and uh, fourth and chunk. It was his old synagogue. And he lived on Sixth Street with his dad. It was a Jewish neighborhood. And I was like, I swear to you, I said, oh, that old place, that old building on fourth and he goes, yeah, it's like me and my friends burned that down. And we, but we didn't do it because it was a synagogue. We did it because it was an abandoned building. It was mischief night that year, you know. So it wasn't had nothing to do with the synagogue. I had been in synagogue for thirty years. But I had to say to him, I was like, "Oh my god, dude, I burnt that down." Me, and my friends, I apologize, you know. And he's like, "Oh, I don't care," you know. And I was like, "We didn't do it." And I instantly, because I was a neo-Nazi, I was like, "But we didn't do it because it was Jewish, which is an abandoned <laughs> building, right?" So uh, the guy lets me out of the truck and says, "Hey, what do you do for a living?" I said, "Nothing." He gives me a job working at his warehouse in Fox Chase, you know, right outside of Yeah, Philly. And I went up, yeah, and I worked up there for, uh, you know, six months or so. I'm working for this Jewish guy, still being a neo-Nazi. My part, my buddy's there. He's still a neo-Nazi. But he used to come with the truck, and he would always pick up one employee, and he'd take him to go. You would go with him, and he'd go pick up the furniture, bring it back to the warehouse. They'd refinish it. But So I was kind of a utility guy around the warehouse so, anyway. Frank, so Keith, let me Keith, cut you Keith, off one more yeah. time. This Jewish guy, I just want to, he accepted, you know, you had the, the swastika. He knew you were a neo-Nazi. Oh. And he knew he, he knew was both Jewish. Of us were he knew we were both neo Nazis, and here was his saying. And he, he, there's a documentary about me and Keith that's on the internet. If you're, it, it's yeah, super funny. Send us um, a link. But me, yeah, yeah. So there's this documentary about me and Keith where we're, they came back, and it's only a couple of years ago, and they asked us questions about what it was like those first days of working with each other. But seriously, guys, this is what he would say. Can I curse on here? Or no, not really. Yeah, you, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Uh, you're have you're with us. At it. <laughs> all right, all right. I was, only person watching is my parole officer. Come on. <laughs> he knows my girlfriend you are. likes <laughs> it once in a while. Even FBI, who knows? Let's go. So, Curse, we're ready. He's Jewish, man. He just, he just goes like this, man. He says, he goes, Frank, I don't give a fuck what you believe. Just don't break my furniture. And he was dead serious about that. I don't care what you believe. Just do your best job for me. And that's how it was. And I'll Real tell you, man, shit. I used to go in this truck. Yeah, and I used to go on this truck with this guy, and he was a, he was a, a former heroin addict, got clean and sober, and you know, didn't really practice the program, right? You know, no, he just didn't. He was sober, and he started furniture businesses, and now he's like, that's what he did. That was his obsession. He was amazing, amazing. It was diabolical yeah. in the way he thought about it. had to be a wake-up call. You know, I know I read about it in your book, but having this guy yeah, yeah, accept yeah. you, he knew who you were. You didn't hide. You weren't yeah. saying, like, hey, I'm Frank. I love Jews. You were, you know, you huh. told him who you were. You were straight up. And he accepted yeah. you, and he, he didn't look at you. Wait, real quick. We just hijacked Toxic Radio. We're going into overtime. Yeah, Frank, we're not we cutting you off. Frank. We get done at 8, but uh, today we're going to get done when you're done. A little extra time. All right. All right, all right. Let's give We're not. We're not. We're, 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 I don't fucking care. Nobody likes Toxic Mike. All right. We're staying on air. We ain't cutting you off, Frank. We don't cut off our guests. So that had to be a big... That had to be a big wake-up call for you. It was. Look, this man, when I would make mistakes, I had that, again, I was an ego, no matter what, I'm still an ego, 19, 20 years old, still, I'm an egomaniac, no self-esteem, fear everything, fear any responsibility, anything You're describing my teenage years, Frank. Come on. Right, right. You know, I'm just happened to be out of prison where I was just in prison with John Wayne Gacy, a serial killer. You know, I'm like, I'm in the same prison with that guy. Now I'm out on the streets. And this guy gives me a job. And anyway, um, whenever I would do something, I always go, oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, man, I'm so dumb. You know, and I, just, I didn't say it like a skinny girl says, oh, my God, I'm fat. So everyone in the room goes, no, you're not fat. Like, I didn't say, yo, I'm like stupid. Donnie so everybody goes, oh, you're not stupid. <laughs> you're <laughs> fat, girl. I didn't say it. <laughs> 
So like, I would just say things. If I made a mistake, if I broke a marble top table, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. And one day I just did this, man, in front of Keith and a customer. I was like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. I, I really did do something stupid. And so I was like, I'm so stupid, Keith. And I was cleaning up this marble top table that I broke. And he came over to me and he gripped me up. Not so the customer can hear me either. It wasn't like he was grand. He came over and he grabbed me, man. And he got me real quick. He says, stop saying you're stupid, you fucking idiot. Clean it up and let's go. And I cleaned up this and I got into the truck with this man. And we were up in like North Jersey by New York and the whole way home on a Jersey turnpike, you know, the garden state, more like a turnpike state. But we're on that yeah. turnpike and we're going down and sitting there and he just unloaded on me about how smart I was all the time. So remember, man, this happened and you figured this out. Like, who thinks that way? That's brilliant, Frank. Like, he's like, you, you know, he would just, he gave me like three examples of times that I shocked him or whatever, you know. Um, now, remember, just to give the timeline, O.J. Simpson trial. I mean, O.J. Simpson uh, chase. My tenth birthday. So now yep. Yeah. So now the O.J. Simpson trial is going on. Why I'm working for Keith. So I'm always like reading about DNA and all this other stuff when I'm in the truck with the man driving through Philly in New Jersey. You just read the Daily News. You know what I mean? It's third grade reading level, so it's like easy. Um, I miss it. Anyway, I broke something, and I and he said that stop saying I'm stupid. And when we were driving home that day, man, he unloads on me, and he drops me off at, at Market Street, Second and Market. And I was either going to walk home because it was payday, it was Friday, and I thought he wasn't going to give me my pay because I broke the furniture. And I that was always his rule, like I'll keep your money, man. He break my furniture. I broke a marble top table. He has to give me an envelope of money, and when I wait for him to give it to me, I'm waiting for him to take some money out of it to say, you know. And he just gave me the whole check, the whole it was cash. He always paid us in cash. And he said, here you go, man. See you, see you Monday. You know how many times Donnie broke a piece of my furniture? I didn't hold it against him. <laughs> I, I I knew this boss paid you in cash. I have a feeling uh, he didn't he didn't pay his taxes, but Look that's not him. here or there. He, he breaks furniture. There's nothing he can do. I break everything, Frank. Let's yeah. be honest. So uh, so man, I, I went home that day, and that was that was that that was my that was the big moment. That was broke, the change the, of life the moment. Just, man. It, it was it was I, I was making so. Every racist, even to this day, and, and I don't know what political, how political, so I'll just keep it trying tame. Um, okay. But seriously, man, like all, all racist, um, sorry, my son's calling for hockey updates. <laughs> um, yeah, Yanni, Yanni the Greek just left, our, our sports expert. <laughs> I swear to God, he just left the studio. He was cursing. You know, he's supposed to do a segment, but you know, you got to go. He, he's pissed. Yeah, yeah, We'll, yeah, we'll take yeah. care of that later. Know. I, I will. I owe him an amends, and I will make it. I will tell my own amends, and I will whatever I can do to make it. Yeah, right, you don't want him to send the Greeks so. out. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Uh, so look, that was that was the day. I, I seriously, man. I just was. I was consistently proven wrong all the time, and I finally had to admit it. Like I got tired of banging my head against the wall to believe that because of the color of my skin, I am better or worse than anybody else in the world. Like that is so crazy. For one, just to think that you're a supremacist, let's just take a white supremacist or a black supremacist. If you think you're a supremacist because of the color of your skin, how lazy are you? You've done nothing to achieve that. You didn't get a degree. You didn't get anything. You know, you're just born that way. It's absolutely one of the most laziest things you can believe that you're superior for is because of the color of your skin. It means you've done nothing. So, um, I started to realize that, man. And I started to see things that used to make me be racist. Like I see a black guy selling food stamps on the street corner. 50 cents on a dollar, 50 cents on a dollar. And I know, you know, everyone knows what that means. And I look over and I'll be like, hmm, see, that's kind of get. And I'll be like, wait a minute, my mom does that. 
And she does it out of her house, though. She's always sold our food stamps. Now I'm going to judge this man and use the N-word because he matched it. You know, like I just said, before you could, I would have bought them. <laughs> right? That'd be so, um, so, man, a lot of that started happening. And it took about a year to really have this real change where my mind didn't instantly go there. Um, and, and, and I really had gotten to this feeling to know that, like, I cannot judge another human being because we are all children of God. We are. So, I mean, hands down. We are all children of God. We are absolutely equal in his, and the best things we could do in the way that I realized to enlighten myself to be part of this human race again was that I have to be of service to every human being I come into contact with every day, every moment. When I talk to you guys, I say, I want to be of service to your show, of service to your listeners, right? That's, that's the first, that's that's the first thing to. you told us, Frank. You said, you know, you're, you're here to make magic happen or whatever to... You, you were great. Service. Fuck, there was one day that literally changed my life. I'm driving in a Wawa, right? Just normal day, driving in a Wawa. Somebody asked me to give them a dollar. I'm like, fuck off. I'm going in a Wawa. And then I sat there and thought about it. I'm like, this person really needs a dollar. This dollar could change this person's life. I went out there with $20. I was like, take what you need. So we, we all have that life. Talk, Frank. Yeah, no, real quick, man. Um, you know, like my, I have friends, like when they see a person on the side of the road asking for change, and I just go, he could get a job. You know, you've got a beautiful car right on the corner. He's just collect. And I say, me giving it a dollar isn't for what he might do with it. It's because it makes the better person out of me for doing it. Fucking right? a it lot doesn't of people, matter. If he, a lot of people you know, can't get a job. That's the thing. That's right. the fucked up part about it. Like, there's people that are saying that the reason is because they can't get a fucking job. And that's why right. we help. And our, right. And our job is to be of service, not to judge. Right. right. So if the man needs it, if you don't want to give him a dollar, don't give him a dollar. But don't sit there and judge this man. And you don't, don't talk know. shit to a fucking and, uh, person. So, you don't know what they've been through. Fucking, if you right. want to give him a dollar, if you want to help out, you want to give to the cause, give him a dollar. If not, don't fucking put a person down. Frank, they don't deserve that. They're human fucking beings. Sorry. Tim, Frank, you guys brought up a great point. You you know, you're getting into the, you're doing service for people. I wanted to bring up something big. It has to do with that. Tell us, you know, the Flyers playoffs are on, man. We want to get into this. Everybody's asking about it. Uh, A lot of our fans, a lot of people know you you, you had partnered in the past with the Flyers. and You did something called uh, Harmony Through Hockey. Tell us about what is Harmony Through, what was it? We know, you know, every that's like the number one question. Or number like three questions. And and that you know, I love when people want to write about solutions, right? They're like, what's the solution then, right? And that's that's people wanting to be of service. They're not saying, did this guy really didn't change it? It's like, hey, what's 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 the solution here? And that's amazing. All right, so Harmony through hockey, I just took what I learned in sports. I had the chance to have uh, a lunch with Jay Snyder one day. Like I was just newly out of being in the still had the swastika on my neck when I met Jay Snyder. Had a lunch with him about, he wanted to talk to me about cha- how I changed. And I said, look, I did this with football in prison. I think I can do it with hockey. And the first year they gave me 20 sets of equipment. They put me in Mount Airy. And then they put me in like uh, West Oak Lane and like a whole bunch of crazy ranks. And I was just in Mount Airy like two seconds ago. <laughs> yeah, I was there. Yeah, I was just there like four hours ago. Right. So it was, it was a crazy thing. The fires were back at me. And so then um, they saw I did something that, in you though. That had to be that was another time. Like uh, your your boss Keith was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They saw something in you. That had to be another 
Like, hey, man, right? When, yeah. when them guys had the, that faith in you? Yeah, I think the one thing that people knew about me was that I legitimately changed. You know what I mean? It was no, did I change? Like, the movie American Sharks didn't give me no money. Yo, I, I've been a broke. I wrote my book oh, that's another 15 yeah. years after I changed. Yeah, yeah. American you know, like X, man. You got no money yeah, out of that? Nothing. Nothing. I wrote a book that I get 15 cents a copy on my first book. That's how I found I out about you, man. Years. I found out about I wrote your that 15 book. years later. Uh, like, I didn't get out of the it said, it said you were from, from South Philly. I was like, I, you know, I got to read this. Gang, gang, Seal Street. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're on two street together. Um, but look, man, I didn't, I didn't get out and write a book right away. And get, I wrote a book 15 years later. Like I went and I did good things when I got in the movement. And I'm, again, I'm not judging other former. I just want people to know I didn't get out and go, hey, hey, look at me. I used to do bad shit and I don't do it no more. I'm so great for that. Like I knew I had to pay back the world. Yeah, people, I had to be don't, of people don't to listen me. to words, man. Me, me and Tim, this is what this show is, man. This is our lives. We, people don't listen to words. We, we're out there in actions. We're in Kensington feeding, feeding these drug addicts. We're out there feeding the homeless. We don't tell people, you know, people don't listen to words. They look at actions. You know, I changed my life. We, we both changed our lives around five years ago, but it's been a long road. You know, people are finally seeing what we started five years ago. Like you started, you know, years before people actually saw what you're doing because you, you meant it. Yeah, and then, people who aren't about it, and then when I got, they're like, hey, look at me, look at me. The fuck right. out of here. The guy playing on the street corner. It's the dude playing on the street corner. Just look yeah. at me. I'm, I'm closer to God because I stream out my prayers. Fuck, when fuck Jesus him, and all Frank. other religions, they, I mean, they say, even Jesus says, go be by yourself and pray. You don't need nobody. And all, all and look, I'm very, I don't want to say I'm very spiritual. That's so overused from the 2000s. But I mean, I, I have a huge belief in God. I, I mean, I love God, man. I do, listen, I, I'm not trying to, I'm not super spiritual for doing this shit, but every morning, man, I take a walk from four to 6 a.m. to go and do a, a, what they call a six and seven step prayer. It's, you know, I can't say anything else other than that, but I, I go and I do that. Every morning I say, God, man, please remove my big shotism. Please remove my any dishonesty. Please remove. And I, you know, for about an hour. And then on the way back, I say, please, God, fill me with humility. Please fill. And I don't do that. And I'm for the two hours to be so spiritual. I do that just to be fucking right with the world, man. Just to get me back to par. That's awesome. Man. All right, Frank. So we, we got to wrap this up. Obviously, we're, yeah, we're right. out of time. This is what I want to ask for you, right? Ahead, well, what is your advice to somebody who's just wrapped up in hate that just fucking can't get past it? What do you tell them to just all be right. like, all right, you gotta, you gotta move past this. Good, I love it. So, this is what we need. And and again, man, I I I, I don't try not to get political on y'all, but for real, like, there isn't. I'm not worried about the white dude who says the n word anymore. I, if you look at all my interviews in the last 10 years, I always go back to the same thing. The privatization of prisons, the mass incarceration, and police brutality, man. I, mean, I know everyone's been talking, but I've been talking about the stop and frisk, and some of my main interviews I've ever done have been on the stop and frisk. So this is what I want to tell people. It is our duty as all human beings to stand up. I know for a fact that the system systematically abuses more minorities. It's a fact. We got 2.4 million people in prison in this country, and most of them are off of drug violations, which are Fourth Amendment issues. And I'm telling the police over the years have broken, and I'm getting to the racist part of this, have broken our Fourth Amendment. Please, I want everyone that's listening to this show, 
go through the research and find this out. Over the years, they slip more and more in the holes. Not the cops themselves. Of course, it's the lobbyists and unions. And they've broken the Fourth Amendment. And they mostly break it on black people and minority people because they know that they won't fight for their rights. And they won't get big lawyers. And so they violate the Fourth Amendment all the time. And that allows bully cops and racist cops to do what they are doing right now. And they are full of fear. That man kneeling on that other man's neck was full of fear when he did it. I know that fear. I truly know that fear. It's it, it's being snake bit. I happen to have, some people say, the anti-venom to hate in me because I had them. I was so snake bitten. Or the antibodies, a better way. I had the virus to hate in me for so long and truly in me that I truly have antibody. And there's thousands of people like me. I'm not that special. All right, I'm just a humble servant of God who knows that other children of God are being abused by a system that has more than over a million and a half more people than anyone else in prison. So we need to all step up. We need to stop. We've been fighting, black people have been fighting the, the police brutality since the 50s, I mean, way before then, but just the Black Panther movement, it's all due to police brutality and it's been continuous and they broke the Fourth Amendment with all the law on war on drugs. And this is what I will end the show with because we need hope here. When they stopped prohibition on alcohol, only a couple years later, Alcoholics Anonymous was started. One of the greatest altruistic movements to ever touch this earth was Alcoholics Anonymous in the beginning of the 12-step movement, which is an altruistic movement. What do you think would happen when we lift this prohibition off these drug laws that allows cops to be bullies and it's broken the system? You can't have 2.4 million people in prison and not think we are in trouble. We have private prisons, but we can fix this. We are the American people. We can fix whatever. We are so good at getting back up and getting when we get knocked down. We are like Rocky. We get back up and we'll figure this problem out, but we have to get the man out of the White House. We have to get some real stability and start changing laws that the police have broken over the years. We just have to go and comb through. Yo, you know the police can stop you and search you if you're not a bicycle right now. Like they made it that strict. And they have so many little laws that they broke and mostly using the drug war on drugs. So for all you racists out there, know that this fixing this laws to help black people actually helps all of us. It helps all of us because that's what happens every time we help black people. We help them get voting rights, the voting and everything changes. We fix things once we make it equal. And all of white America for a long time, we got into the life raft of America in this great way. And we lifted the ladders out of the water. It's true. And we used the police to guard them ladders so no one else can get in this life raft. That's why everyone drowned it. And it's this movement that we woke. And I mean that for real. This country has woke to realize there's a massive problem. Private prisons is a massive problem. So we woke and we are now pushing that police and we are moving them ladders and letting everyone in this thing. And I know this might sound so crazy, but I think this boat, this boat, we get everyone equal. We go to inform of enlightenment and that is our next frontier in this world. And it starts by getting everyone treated equal. The police are bullies. The police have gone out of their way. I know because they are full of fear. So many of them officers, mm. we have to go patrol South Central patrol watts. They're full of fear. They grew up in the suburbs. They feared them neighborhoods. Now they got to go patrol them after they just got home from doing war because all of them were military and they come home with that same mentality. They got to go patrol the black neighborhood that they think is going to change their neighborhoods. So they patrol them with fear. It's got to change. So that's what I say to everybody. Much love and respect, man. Empathy for everybody. You know, this is such a wonderful world. Just be kind to everyone. Be of service. 
soon as I walk out my door every day, I'm of service to every human being and creature I come into contact with. My life is better. Love you. Thank you. Frank, that, that, was, that was amazing. Uh, this is why I brought you on, man. I, like I said, man, I, I do my homework. You're amazing. Your words are amazing. Regardless of what anybody thinks, political party, anything, your, your words mean so much, man. Thank you so much for coming on. And, uh, you know, I hope everybody got something out of that. Thank you, Frank. And uh, have, have a you, great sir. night, man. I can't thank you enough, man. Your words were... No flyers, dog. I felt go Flyers. Amazing. Let's go Flyers, baby. Go Flyers, dog. Love you. Yo, love you, brother. Have a good night. That, you know, I don't get held speechless a lot, man. I just want anybody, you know, we, we try to bring everybody together. Regardless, his whole thing is, you know, you treat everybody regardless of if they're not like you with empathy. So, you know, you don't have to believe everything he believes. But just, you know, he had some great points there that that was amazing thank you everybody for tuning in thank you toxic mike for letting us go over no fuck we, toxic we appreciate mike. it we'll do what we want thank but you thank big you. time tim kutches <laughs> thank you for, for all tuning listening in. stop glorifying rats thank you donnie and for everybody sure. we appreciate your time yanni the greek who got out of here to watch the flyers thank you for coming on Everybody, we will see you next week. We just on hunger for hope. We're out of here. We just broke records. Even Derek.